I'm Lindsay with Wild Root Flower Company. And I'm Shannon from Bloom Hill Farm. Over the last six years, we've leaned on each other as we grew our farms into the profitable six-figure farms they are today. We want you to join us each week as we have real, honest conversations about life and business. And we promise you'll leave feeling inspired and your farming toolbox will be filled with actionable strategies you can implement at any stage in your business. Learn from our mistakes as we talk business, marketing, and growing techniques to help you create the farm of your dreams. So let's roll up our sleeves and get the dirt on flowers. Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of The Dirt on Flowers. We are so excited because we have a really special guest today, Michelle Elston. So uh, we're going to hop in with her in a minute. We're talking all about farm efficiencies. But, Linz, I have to tell you that we were at our home and garden show, like a two-day extravaganza. So it was like Mm -hmm. a a little... It it was a whole thing. And it was in like an enclosed dome. So it was like pressurizing. It was a lot. It was set up was interesting to say the least, but the spring fever with customers is like 100% real. They mm-hmm. were like running to the booth to check out, like they see green and they just want to like know what it is. Cause we had some seedlings yeah. and stuff out. And, um, I've just been feeling really like, I don't know, just a lot of gratitude for what we do because we get to really, you know, expose our customers to flowers that they only see in like luxury things yeah. like wedding flowers or like some like amazing designers, you know, compote arrangement has ranunculus and butterfly ranunculus and lysianthus and all these beautiful things. So they're always like, oh, I, it, you know, flowers equal memories, which is honestly the one of yeah. the most fun things that we do. But they're like, oh, I saw this in such and such as bouquet and I've never seen it in real life or they've never even heard about some of like the the flowers that were growing. And so it's just so fun to educate them. And that is a part of our job, right? I mean, it's yeah. educating our customer. So it, it was really fun. Yeah. I love uh, somebody was at the farm stand yesterday and we were talking about peonies and uh, about how they're getting ready to bloom. And she said, well, what's that right there? And I said, that's actually a tulip. You know, it was like Mount Tacoma or something. It was like in my landscaping and she thought it was a peony. She's like, I kept staring at it thinking that's kind of short, but they just, they don't, they don't know, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's Everyone's fun. Like, Do you get someone who argues with you? They're, I'll be like, oh, that's a tulip. Oh, yeah. No, it's not. I'm like, no, you know what they argue they about? This is what? this is the argument that I will not back down from. There's two of them. One, it's to not cut down your daffodil foliage, like oh. where they tie them in little yeah. soldier knots with rubber bands. I'm like, I don't care if Grandma Susie told you to do that. Okay, do not do it. And then the other one is that ants caught ants. Oh my god! Yes. Let yeah, peonies yeah. open. You have to have ants. Legit. I should go back on my Facebook because somebody was arguing me last year about it, and I'm like, Lindsay, you're a business owner, so you need to type the response as if you were a business owner. What I was just going to be like, you are so full of it. <laughs> no, they're attracted to the sap. You know, I try to explain. And anyway, yeah. but those are the two that I just like. I stay firm on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, you get. I mean, especially at home and garden shows, you know, you get a few like. Oh, like this is, I don't, can't even, I don't, yeah. oh, look, look at these roses. They're like calling over their friend. Look at these roses. I'm like, oh, they're actually ranunculus. And they're like, no. Yeah. <laughs> look at these roses. Rose lilies are another you one. We've got it oh, on. Yeah. yeah. Well, I feel like yes. I'm very tuned into it because my, my horticulture days started in a garden center. Yeah. So, you know, you, I got so good at, they come in and they're like, they describe the plant and they're like, yeah, it's about six inches tall with blue flowers and it I think it rhymes with whatever you know and I'm like it was a guessing game always to try to figure out what they're talking about and it was never never right but yeah they're fun (laughs) yes 
fun, fun to have people, you know, to get to educate them because then they're so shocked when you're like, no, that's actually a lily, you know, yeah. and they're like, I don't think so. Yeah, I know. I Judd thinks I give up too easily. I'm always like, no, okay, <laughs> I'm not going to argue with you, but he'll be like, no, 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 stop. <laughs> it's not. Or they'll be like, oh, you know, oh yeah, he was like the diatuber man, you know, he like literally he had like a little crowd of like older ladies around him just talking about that. <laughs> I wish I was going to record it and send it to you, Lindsay, because you would have loved it. He was like literally in his glory. He's like, oh, actually, that's a that's a tuber. I mean, he explained the whole thing and he's just like mm -hmm. so excited. He literally had no voice because that's how much he talked. That's so All he has a career yesterday. in garden center or not garden center in garden club talking. He could make 100%. millions traveling because those old ladies yeah. they eat they him up. up. They do that tall man <laughs> talking about flowers. Yeah, talking about diet tubers. Oh, like mm -hmm. I've never met a guy who loves talking flowers so much. <laughs> he's it taken. Was so adorable. Back yeah, back. he's taken. All right. Yeah. So but it was it was really cute. It was really cute. So okay. So we're here with Michelle Elston from Roots Cut Flower Farm, who's literally one of my favorite humans mm -hmm. on the planet. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> so welcome to the podcast, Michelle. Hey guys, thank you so much. You're my favorite humans too. Oh, so sweet. <laughs> well, we we were chit chatting um, earlier, and I was just like watching her talk. And Lindsay and I both have done consulting with Michelle, so. Mm -hmm. um, to say that we like love and really admire her in, in a lot of different ways is actually a complete and utter understatement. But mm -hmm. I'm like, why is your presence in, in your face just like so calming? Like it felt so good to see you. And Michelle has helped. Uh, was it was it two years ago? I'm trying to think. Yeah, it was two years on and off. It might have been more. Yeah. 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 We were trying to get into the grocery biz because for us, we were trying to increase the amount of business that we could do during the week instead of on the weekends because our kids are getting older and we're like okay grocery fits into that but how do we figure it out and we had a grocery store chain interested just didn't know how to approach them and the logistics and all that so I consulted with Michelle and I got all that advice plus more you know employee mm -hmm. management all of it so she really is a gem oh my gosh yeah like so <laughs> and i consulted with her because of you with your recommendation mm -hmm. and you really it's just there is a calm it's like when i even i told michelle when i was emailing with her when i was going through tulip gate this spring i was like i just want to talk to michelle it's like a comforting mom you know not that you could be my mom that's an insult come that's on like come on <laughs> It just means your being has like a mothering yes. energy. Like Nurturing. that's what I mean. She's not old yeah. enough to be my mother by <laughs> any means. But just like you just make – I don't know. You just – everything that we talk about, I always leave feeling like so much better and more comfortable after being around you. So having – we're so excited to have you on here. Like just yes. very grateful you're giving us your – wisdom and your time so and we're talking about I think you and I share the same love language which is efficiency for sure for yeah. sure well first I have to say thank you because you guys are super sweet and um I really appreciate those words and yeah, I think you know the the thing that I just always try to rest in is that this we are working with a system that is way way bigger than us the living natural world is a bazillion times bigger and more complex than we will ever, ever comprehend in our tiny human brains. And so if, that's how I approach farming. And I do my best to learn and understand it. But I think if you rest in that fact that you'll never get it all right, there's a massive comfort in that. So yes. that's yeah. our starting point. Yeah. We can just stop the podcast right now. Yeah. Let's, let's yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> so true. So true. Well, let's so today we're we're talking about ways to work smarter and not harder on our farms. I think, mm-hmm. you know, what we do is a massive undertaking of of work. We have a lot of physical labor. So finding ways that we can, you know, work more efficient efficiently is what we're going to chat about today, you know, during harvest and and post-harvest production and maybe even a little bit about planting too. So, and I think just to preface this, a lot of our listeners are new, uh, new to farming. So they're maybe not even, you know, most of them still have other jobs and they're farming on small scale. Um, they're trying to get to where, you know, they're have this as their full-time job like we do. Um, so with that, with their, you know, setting up their farms and figuring out their systems, like where would you tell somebody to start with just their processes? Like where would be a good starting point for people? I think you have to learn how to grow plants and learn how plants grow before you get too hung up in systems. And so I would say, try all of them at first, you know, if you can, um, try growing in weed barrier, try growing in mulch, try growing in bare ground, figure out what is working for your space. And we were chatting before the show, like really know that there is not a right answer to systems or to how to grow or what to grow and just really figuring out what's right for your economy, your customers, and your land is mm-hmm. going to be the first step. And, you know, I think if you talk to any seasoned grower, they will have tried a lot of things before they've landed where they land mm-hmm. and where they land in that moment might not be where they are in 10 years or five years. Mm-hmm. So just always trying to try new systems would be my biggest piece of advice. And, you know, when I look back, some of the systems that we started with, we're still using some of them we've abandoned, but that's part of the game and don't get too stuck on trying to figure out the right one immediately. Um, yeah. Just keep trying. Yeah. Well, Sorry to be big. Yeah. No, no. That's, you know, if you want to tell us a little bit about Roots, like where did you get started? Like where, where did you start? And then how did that evolve over time? Because, you know, we always try, you know, a lot of people want the easy button on this. So we're always trying to say like, okay, like this has to evolve and time is the answer. But I guess, how did that look for you? You know, how did Roots start? And then where are you guys now with that? I buzzed right over that, by the way. Shannon's <laughs> covering for me because I jumped clear down on, hey, Michelle, tell us about your business. That was very sweet and smooth, Shannon. And I just thought I'd call it out. Uh, yeah, no, no problem. Michelle, <laughs> tell us about your business. <laughs> All good. So I have a plant science background. I've always loved plants. You know, my parents joke when I was, they couldn't find me when I was like a toddler and they saw my little butt sticking up out of the strawberry patch in their garden. Aww. So I definitely um, have never wavered from plants. But in 2007, we moved back to my hometown in Pennsylvania. Our son was three and he was born. We owned a garden center in Massachusetts. He was born. I I felt like I had two babies at once having a business that was open seven days a week and an infant. It was really, really hard. And we just knew that on the day of his birth, everything shifted. We knew that he needed to know his family and who he comes from. And so we moved down here to Pennsylvania where my family is. And in that time, um, some some like space opened up for me to try this flower farming thing that I had always been interested in. So I'd grown some flowers on the side at our garden center. I had worked at a few flower farms and just some space opened up and some financial space for us to try this. So I swear to you guys, in my 
mind's eye, it was going to be me and my kids going to a farmer's market. And that's Mm -hmm. just what I was going to do. And I really believe in walking through open doors and doors just kept opening. So now 2023 and we are in um, supermarkets all across Pennsylvania. We're selling like 27 to 30,000 supermarket bouquets a year. I've got a crew of 15 and I like, you know, they say like write a business plan, have like make a path, blah, blah, blah. That's not really how it went down for me. It was just like step by step by step. And, you know, just taking the right next step is sort of how we got to where we are in that in the process we we had bought a piece of land there was three acres and it was just like that's fine um that's plenty I'll just like have this little garden and then I started renting land and then uh we still were just focused on being debt-free and weren't going to move and then on sort of this like beautiful farm between our town and where we lived came up for sale and mountains moved and we were able to move to this new farm. And I remember we came in the rain to look at it. And I told my husband, well, I'll never plant this whole big farm. It's going to like, I'm going to cover crop and there's going to be so much extra space and blah, blah, blah. And now we're hundred percent maxed out. We are like double, triple cropping space. So we just incrementally kept moving forward. Mm-hmm. I love that. It's- Yes. And her property is beautiful. The most beautiful barn. Judd has barn envy. He's always like, dang, I really wish I could have Michelle's barn. I'm like, you have a nice barn, okay? (laughs) It's so beautiful. We have a very retrofitted milking barn. It's a gothic roof milking barn. It is beautiful. And I swear it is why we bought the property. (laughs) And, you know, we bought the property because we loved the land. My husband loved the lawn because his degree is in turf grass management and it's got a big green lawn. And uh, the joke is uh, we moved every day for a month to move the farm here. And the day before or the day after closing, we started moving our personal possessions in and neither of us could remember what the house looked like inside because we were so focused so on the outside. <laughs> so, yeah, it was right. interesting. Oh, but yeah, it is a beautiful yeah. barn, but it's got obstacles. And I think sure. as we talk about efficiencies, you know, working with what you've got is really a big piece of efficiencies. So we didn't start with a blank slate. We didn't start with a brand new open building where we could design it from nothing. And we've just made it work and improved it bit by bit by bit. Mm-hmm. Aww. And that beautiful cut stone, the stone. Oh, my the alpha. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's one thing I eyeball. I'm like, because my barn has just like old block. I'm like, man, if I could redo that foundation and have like cut stone and yeah, yeah. whatever. I got yeah. other things to pay for. I mean, for that first, took Mike but... all winter long to build that beautiful oh, wall. Beautiful. So it's also what he does is no small feet. Yeah. Yeah. I know a a lot of times efficiencies evolve out of kind of getting our teeth completely kicked in. I mean, I'm, I'm sure like we've all been there. You're doing something and you're like, this is the most inefficient thing I've ever done. And that feels so frustrating. And like as a newbie, I remember me, I felt like everything we did was inefficient a, because we didn't know what we were doing. And B, we were just trying to figure it out. And then so you feel like you're trying it so many different ways, you know. And so I did you have like any defining moments where you're like, okay, I need to stop. I need to figure this out and make this business work. Like I cannot go forward unless I figure this out. Or was that just kind of like your mindset from the beginning? Or how did that work? Yeah, I love that question, Shannon, because I I thought about it and I am my own worst enemy. I am like a muscle through it and just 
beat the shit out of your body and make it work kind of person. And so I don't have those defining moments. I have moments that I am now paying for physically because I didn't stop. But I think the biggest thing is I've just always kept my eyes wide open. So I'm, oh, and my ears, you know, like if this tiny little like seed of an idea gets planted, I will think about it and try to figure out how we could apply that in the future. In the moment, I'm more of a power through it kind of person. Mm -hmm. And there's been a lot of late nights, a lot of, you know, calling and reinforcements and just pushing through um, our, our big, I think when I thought about this, our big thing, when you deal with supermarkets and big companies, they care on a very small level that you are a tiny farm and a tiny human being, but on a big picture, they don't care. And so you you have to fulfill your orders. You have to be on time. You cannot let your quality suffer and you have to meet your end of the deal, even though they're a giant company and you're just a tiny human being. Um, and so that, that's where, I, for me, powering through really comes in as you mm-hmm. just have to hold up your end of the deal no matter what. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's so nice for our newbies to hear that. Cause they tend to think that like even Lindsay and I, which I don't know why you would think that we're completely honest with you, but that we are, we have it all figured out, you know, mm-hmm. and we don't, you know, we're just finding what works for us and it's just so individualized and that's, which we, it, it, which can be a hard pill to swallow when you just want to do good. And you have like these really perfectionist, like, Mm-hmm. ideas about what it needs to be or what it needs to look like you know so I just think it's so refreshing to hear that for especially for our newbies yeah yeah because I when we've talked about it on here but like Shannon and I are both competitive but we're competitive mm-hmm. with ourselves and so yeah. it, it's not like comparing to each other but that internal comparison too can be that keeps I don't know it can just break in Brutal. Yeah. So, and yeah, we don't have it all figured out. I, we could say that every single episode. I mean, I'm still, we talked about it before this show even started of just like how this spring is, I feel like it's making me put my money where, is that the right? My money where my mouth is, my mouth where my money is. What is it? Yeah, money where your mouth. (laughs) Whatever. It's making me where the bulbs are. Whatever. You know what I'm (laughs) saying, people. Okay. Um, Because it's like, I have, I've shared things about you know, how I manage my mind or if I say farm my mind a little bit through the season. And now I'm like, I'm really being tested. So, you know, I've kind of just, I'm having to go back and go, okay, well, what's not working, right? Normally I do like the end of the year evaluation, but right now I'm sitting like early season going like, okay, what changes do I need to make um, to make this work? You know, because I'm, we're already feeling, feeling it (laughs) this season. But so, where this is, I'm like the most excited for this entire show because I do love learning from you about efficiency. So, like, share what it is, Michelle. Like, why efficiencies and why it is so important for farms with people, just so they can kind of understand a little bit further about what our passion is around this. So, I think if you want to scale up, you have to figure out how to do it faster and easier. That's that's sort of the bottom line. Is you cannot. There's, there's sort of two ways to make the same amount of money. You can get a really high price point for one, or you can sell 30 at a lower price point and come out at the same place. And especially as a farm in rural Pennsylvania, I don't have the opportunity to sell a really amazing special thing at a high price point very often. And so my approach 
in my demographic has to be volume. And it turns out that I get a real kick out of volume. Um, I, I swear, like as a kid, Cheaper by the Dozen, that book was like, I had found my people when I read that book. <laughs> The guy, if you don't know the, it's a, based on a true story. Um, I think his, the last name is like Gilbreth or something. Um, his job was an efficiency expert. That was his title. And he would like go into companies and figure out how they could like do their movements more efficiently and everything. And like he had a dozen kids and sort of ran his family like a factory basically. And it's a funny, cute, it's a kid's book, but I swear, I don't know. I was probably in like third grade when I read that book and I was like, oh, efficiency expert, that could be my job. I don't know, I'm a freak. I don't know what to tell you. But anyhow, so this combination of my demographic of needing to, if I wanted to scale up, it had to be low price point, high volume, and just kind of getting a real kick out of volume has mm-hmm. sort of gotten us to where we are uh, really focusing on efficiencies on the farm. Yeah, and labor is expensive. Like, let's acknowledge yeah. that. Like, you know, everyone wants a number on labor. I think for a really small farm, you might be at 20% labor. For a bigger farm, you're looking at 35, 40, maybe even 45% of your total sales volume in labor and those are profitable farms because they're higher volume but like that is a big piece of the pie and so when we're talking about efficiencies we're really talking about labor and making the most out of our hours mm-hmm. yeah yeah you'd have to at 30,000 bouquets a year hot damn yeah. man Ooh. yeah Ooh. Yeah. So that's, um, I was just doing out the math. That's like, so we're, we're really only doing our supermarket season for 12 to 14 weeks. And so that's 1800 to 2100 bouquets a week going out the door. Um, wow. And we have to be, we only make bouquets three days a week because of logistics. And so uh, my crew's got to be at like a 45 to 60 second bouquet to make that happen. Um, and it's tight. It's, um it's yeah. fun but but it's like to get to that volume you really have to have your systems down and so the game for me has been about developing language about training people on how to do these things and that's where as i've moved through i'm still learning how to actually grow flowers don't get me wrong but like mm-hmm. as my business grows i'm learning how to train people to handle flowers in an efficient way and it's really about language and teaching and training and showing and that has been like sort of the next level for me in my business is um, figuring out how to repeat this thing that I just do like without even thinking about it. Like I couldn't even tell you what hand I hold something in yeah. without having to break it down and communicate it to other people. Hmm. That's amazing. I yes. when uh, Shannon grows like ten thousand dahlias. Okay, so during dahlia season, I'm always like, "All right, girls, I'm gonna send you up to Shannon's farm." Like, because we only grow like twenty five hundred, three thousand, mm-hmm. something like that. So I always threaten them. So now I'm gonna threaten them with your farm with making bouquets. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, Listen. This is going to be a lot worse. <laughs> Stopwatch around my neck. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, yeah, that really resonates with me too. It's like, how do we motivate people to and mm-hmm. and translate? It's hard. It's hard to translate the things that we've like innately learned over time and not be like standing at the end of them with a stopwatch or whatever, yeah. you know, and I, timing ourselves is important, but not being like, sure a boss that you wouldn't want to work for, you know, essentially how do we, it's like a balance of fun and efficiency. Cause you know, when people come to us like, Oh, it's like so wonderful working with flowers all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But mm-hmm. it's a 
job, you know, that right. you yeah, it's right. yeah, yeah. So, so I've had a lot of practice with this one. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is our, uh, oh shoot, I think 16th or 17th year growing. And we started in supermarkets in 2009. So mm-hmm. like 14 years of supermarkets and I've had a lot of practice, but the biggest thing is that you have to start right from writing a job description like before they even come to your farm in managing expectations of what this job is. And I've leaned on the backs of people before me. I've read other people's job descriptions. I've figured out, you know, they talk about hiring people in uh, food service and hiring people um, even with, it's really waitressing that that tends to have a good tempo, but people who Mm -hmm. are just like aware of tempo in other like production systems. So we're super clear when we hire that this is a production farm. This is not art. This is not creative. Mm -hmm. The the way you do that big volume is there's a formula for the day and that's what we make. Um, Mm -hmm. And so the creativity is in the process, but not in the design. And then there's other opportunities for creativity at different periods on the time if we're doing a more retail focused thing. But in terms of this supermarket thing, it is 100% about efficiencies. And so like my big victory last year, if I can share is I do a lot of crew, all crew meetings at the end of like uh, what we call program our season. So at the end of supermarket season, at the end of Christmas wreath season, and oftentimes at the end of spring, we'll have an all crew meeting and um, everyone gets a voice. So we collect ideas and information. Everyone gets to say, I have this other idea. I mean, it can be like, we need one more small cart or we need one more wheelbarrow or, you know, what if we uh, took empty buckets to the field or versus armloads or I don't know. They, anybody can say anything. And as long as we haven't tried it before, I'll try it. But at the end of our meeting last summer, I asked, um, did you know what you were getting yourself into when you applied for this job and you were interviewed and they all said yes. And I was like, Oh, that's yes. like a big win. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Nobody knows what they're getting themselves yeah. into. And they're always yeah. shocked. Like, like, yeah. I, like I take it as a compliment, but like uh, we had this youth farming organization out for a few years to like, have like a afternoon on the farm and they every year they'd be like that was the hardest work we did all summer I'm like yeah flower farming is not a cakewalk um but like just managing that expectation from the get-go I felt like was a major victory Mm -hmm. um so it starts right in the beginning and then I think the other piece and it wouldn't have to be the owner but for me it is me I am right there in the trenches with them every production day and I know that every business seminar you go to and every book you read should say that you should be able to leave your farm and it can run on its own. You should be able to walk away from your business and you have people who can make it happen. I think I have people that would want to make that happen and they would try really hard, but I am an integral piece of the production Mm -hmm. system. And I actually feel like that is incredibly motivating to my crew because I'm not like in an office doing something else. I am right there in the trenches with them. And there's lots of times where I'm not with them. If I feel like they've got the thing, then I don't participate because there's lots of stuff I do have to be doing to move the business forward. But especially Mm -hmm. in terms of bouquet production, every single bouquet day, I'm a bouquet maker. I'm a harvester. I'm right there in it with them. And I think that that is encouraging to your crew to see that I'm not above this work in any yeah. way. I'm right there with them. And I like it, so it helps. Yes. yes. <laughs> Shannon, we, we just had this conversation, actually, because I've been having some just 
you know, the flow of the farm. And we, again, we talked about this. I think we had like an hour long podcast before the podcast recording. Yes. Um, but, you know, I'm feeling <laughs> a little like I'm um, putting out fires this this year. And so my admi- administrative plate has filled up a little bit more. And so now I'm trying to like pull myself back into production and, and finding the management of that has been, it's been difficult. I'm, we're, we're sorting through it, but I think that's a really valid point. My dad, I was harvesting ranunculus and he like came down and he, he's like, oh, I thought you were Elizabeth. And he's like, I didn't think you did labor anymore. And I mean, it cut rude. I am going kick his butt to next time I see him. Cut you. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> thank God my employees were not around to hear you say that. Now I put it on the podcast and they're going to listen to it. But I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah, dad, yeah. I do physical labor. It's an insult. <laughs> oh, anyway. And they do work differently when you're around. I mean, they do. That's just it's a fact. The bottom line is pace that- picks up a little bit. Yeah. I I don't know. The whole thing changed. I don't know. Michelle, do you feel that too? Like your presence is an important piece there. I think that I've got a crew with really great attitudes. So it's never that they don't want to work quickly when I'm not there. And for certain tasks, when they understand the big picture, they don't need me to work Mm -hmm. quickly. But what I'm finding, um, I'm all about taking ownership for the mm-hmm. breaks in the system because it really, at the end of the day, it's yeah. about me, right? Yes. Like it's it's my lack of 100%. management, it's my lack of communication that's caused the breakdown. So when I find that things slow down, it's because I have not communicated mm-hmm. the value or the big picture of what they're trying to do. And so they're slowing down because they're trying to do it really, really well and probably trying to do it too well. And then they're just overthinking it. It's not because they're chit-chatting or, you know, whatever, not producing. It's because they don't understand where this one task fits into the whole big picture of the farm. Mm -hmm. And um, we've worked a lot on, I'm, I actually really stink at communicating. And so like I live in my head so beautifully. Um, I could just be quiet all day long and not talk to anybody, but I've worked really hard on communicating the big picture to them. And I know that it's a place where I can keep improving and, you know, figuring out how to help them see the big picture, but also where I can just pop in and be like, oh, it really looks like you're struggling with this. Let me show you the level of uh, essentially attentiveness to this. Or let me show you, if you just turn your tool a bunch of sideways, you're going to be able to see that where the heads line up instead of like holding them upright and struggling and try to like look down on it all the time, just lay it flat on the table sideways. You can see it. And so they don't know those things Mm -hmm. until I'm there. So I think it's not so much my presence as like Mm -hmm. me just catching things that they're not necessarily yeah. aware of mm-hmm. um, and they get so focused on the specific task that they mm-hmm. they don't have that bird's eye view of the whole farm yes yeah it's it's hard to I know when we consulted this last time I came to you and I'm like listen I know these are the areas I need to improve in because I could see where there were breakdowns and stuff in communication and I knew it was me so I'm like I have a part in this like this you know it's it starts at the top and and mm-hmm. setting that example of like how I'm communicating things and it isn't that they don't want to do a good job because they absolutely do. They do. They want to do a good job. So I'm like, okay, how do I break this down? And like you said, set the expectation of like Mm -hmm. what it is, the end result is that I want. And so, yeah, I've been trying to, to be out there more too with um, Mm -hmm. even during like making bouquets and get the flow. So I can kind of see the overall scope of what's actually happening and make Mm -hmm. adjustments as needed. yeah, we're, our, our uh, phrase this season is engagement. I follow uh, Gallup 
the like Gallup poll like yeah. online and like they talk about like the whole uh what, what did they call that where like everyone quit working the great it's not yeah. the great recession it's like the great resignation the great resignation so like Gallup's like really focused on that and their whole thing is about worker engagement and worker job satisfaction and it really comes down to them feeling like they're contributing meaningfully mm-hmm. meaningfully to their job. And so that's where we come in as managers to help them do it in the best way possible and to feel like they're really contributing. So it's not that they don't want to, they really want For to, sure. because why else would you do this work? Like, this is hard work. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. You're yeah. not going to take this job if yeah. you mm-hmm. just want a paycheck. I'm sorry. You're going to yeah. do it for the paycheck, but really for the love. And mm-hmm. so you want to give them that. Yes. Yeah. We did uh, our employee reviews. I do that. I have an HR background, so I I love doing employee reviews. And so I changed them this year because I do values work myself personally. And so I thought this is that's how I feel more fulfilled in my personal life and in my business. And it guides my decisions. And when I did this work, I realized that freedom was like one of the top things for me. And so and that's just that encompasses a whole lot. So it sounds funny to have freedom as one of my top values and own a farm because right? Like what freedom is there in having a farm? But I've been able to been able to find ways. That's why dropping full service weddings was great for me because mm-hmm. seeing really hard things on my schedule, meaning like uh, full service setups and like things are permanently blocked out that require my attention. So I took that concept for myself and I took it to my employees and we talked about their personal values and how they feel fulfilled. And I learned a lot from doing that with them and like how, you know, Elizabeth's values versus Emily's values, you know, Emily's traveling and, you know, those sort of things that are really, really high level of importance to her. How can the farm support that for them too? So it's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's a whole lot of. Yeah. A lot of things, but it, it nurtures, I don't know, we're growing plants and people kind of all at the same time. So yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. How many, how many people do you have on your crew, Michelle, for this year? So our, our core crew is um, eight fleet, eight people plus me. Mm-hmm. And then I have another six who are like in peripheral roles. Like I have a person who does all of our sales. I have someone who's going to do weekend harvesting, someone who starts seeds, someone who works one day a week. So so like it, our core is nine, including me, and only two of them are full-time. Everyone else works three or four days a week. Okay. Hmm. Man, yeah, that's a, that's a management system in itself. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so when we, like one of the things when we consulted, you were talking about your transplanting. Can you walk us through that process? Because I find it so fascinating. You use raised beds with a mulcher. Is this right? So like very similar to what Shannon has. But we talk about your planting process because I'm always blown away by the number of flats that you can get in the ground in like a half of a day. (laughs) Yeah. So let's see. I guess if you're a small farm, it's going to sound like a lot. And if you're a big farm, you're going to think that I'm insane for doing it the way we do it. And I think that that's just like, I'm okay with that. Like, I'm okay. I, I guess I preface this with, I hate equipment. Like I hate learning new equipment systems, like shuts me down in a way that is like truly incapacitating. So here I am. I don't get a kick out of owning equipment. I don't get a kick out of operating it. Um, It's just not my heart. And I am not 
I, I am the farmer. My husband has his own separate business. It's not like I have like the tractor guy to be super sexist. It's me. And so this is 100% choice the way we do this system. I'm just going to preface it that way. So one of our values is not being encumbered by owning a lot of stuff. And farmers love accumulating stuff. And I know we're going to talk about the lean farm a little bit, but that was like after Cheaper by the Dozen, the lean farmer was like, I have found my people. <laughs> so it's important to me. It's a value of mine to not own a lot of stuff. And we want a tidy farm and we want our stuff to fit in our buildings and not be laying all around. So one of those things is we do not own a plastic mulch layer. I have a man who lives down the road. I pay him once a year to come and lay all of our plastic mulch. And that's how we do it. And a big farm would be like, oh my gosh, you're only laying plastic once a year. That's a logistical nightmare. You're using biodegradable. By the time you do your later successions, it's starting to break down. You should just buy a mulch layer, blah, blah, blah. Yes, that is true. Except for I don't want to. And I think (laughs) when we're talking about efficiencies, like I do acknowledge that I am a weak link in some of this and I just don't want to. And it's because It's just more than I want to manage in terms of maintaining it and storing it. And And it works for you. Mm -hmm. And it's transplanting. I can't even remember the last time I did the math, like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of transplants a year by hand. So, um, so our system to get to it is we have, we do, I think it's usually four people at a time transplanting as a team. And so the the plastic mulch is laid. So so we're I'm tilling the whole field. We're having black plastic mulch laid. We actually seed the pathways in annual rye to keep the weeds down. So so that's like hopefully happening next week. But what we do is I run through and cut all the holes. I just use a soil knife and just poke, 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 poke. Um, someone who's got a good sense of tempo and spacing, I'll let somebody else do that. But usually I just do that part myself. So I run through and basically cut the template in the plastic of where the holes are. One person comes behind me and drops all the plants on top of those holes. And then two, one to two people come behind them and tuck them all into the ground. And then the last person is watering in. So we've we've had as many as mm, six gets like too many. It's usually like four to five people in a morning who are doing this system, but everyone has a job. Now these jobs, like you're in the same position for a long period. So we do try to mix it up. Like somebody that like, I need to drop for a while instead of planting or I want to water in or whatever. So we make sure that they're moving their bodies. But as a crew, we can get, you know, easily 172s in the ground, um, we have done 128s. That's pushing it for a morning, um, but that's how we do it. It's just like a hole poker, a dropper, and a and a planter or two planters coming behind them, water them in over overhand. I'm super bossy about how they transplant into the ground with their hands. So I'm getting down there and I'm showing them the exact movement to use with their hands. I'm asking them if they're right-handed or left-handed. I'm like two fingers, poke it in, squeeze two fingers, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and just really showing them the exact tempo and the exact way we're popping them into the ground. We only transplant in the morning or like if it's like horrible and we were so close, we might do it in an afternoon, it like an hour in the afternoon. But the other key is like, you can do something really hard and really fast for like four hours, but then you, you need an easier job. And so I think that's yeah. the other mm-hmm. key to it is like, it's a half a day max, and then we can really fly through it. Mm-hmm. So we transplant, it's about two and a half acres of annuals by hand every year. And it's no big deal. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. They love it. Are you showing them to like how to crouch down, like what position they should have their body in? Like, are you going to that level of detail? Ooh, or are you? Yes. So yeah. even better. <laughs> um, the last two years I've hired Maggie who comes to the farm and we do farm yoga for six weeks in the spring right after work. So, and she is like, about body mechanics and she's about your core and your posture. And so it's not exactly it's yoga, but it's really about how to stand, how to bend, how to use your body in the best way. And Maggie used to work on a farm. She understands what we do and they love it. It's a perk of the job, right? Like that's pretty cool. You have free yoga at your job. Like, but we talk about how to move our bodies. And then we also talk about the importance of mixing it up with these repetitive motions. And so, you know, you, the flexible people, it is a slightly raised bed. The flexible people just like bend over at the waist and tuck them in. Some people do uh, on their knees and crawl forward. Usually like by 11, everyone's on their knees. Oh yeah, There is no butt sitting on our farm. And I'm really rigid about about them. Mm-hmm. Do not butt sit for any job at all. Once you get down on your butt, you're not getting off. No. <laughs> so, yeah. That's like, um, I'm pretty strict about that. It's just too slow. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's amazing. I think for us too, that's one area that I need to do better is communicating like standards with stuff because mm-hmm. even like early season, you know, it's been an entire year since they've harvested tulips, like yes. crops, specialty crops. Like there is a system mm-hmm. to it. And when we started, I wasn't up there, you know? And so I was like, oh wait, why are we doing it that way? And I was like, well, I, I wasn't up there to communicate like this is how you should be doing done. And I'm I'm always looking at it from the number of motions. So I'm looking at like body movement and mm-hmm. how are they harvesting it? Can we eliminate one of those steps? So I assume you're kind of doing the same thing. Like if you're seeing somebody- 100%. Yeah, okay, you're kind yep. of correcting. Yeah. And so we've actually started this year. I have this true, true grace of my entire crew is coming back this year from last year. And I'm like, That's so excited. I know we're all like, this is going to be our year. So <laughs> what, we just had a crew meeting this week and we are, we're like, okay, next level is like, you need to be talking to each other about this stuff. Like you don't need me now to direct you. So you should always in your head be asking yourself and your peers, is there an easier or faster way to be doing this? And so instead of just heads down all the time, you should be looking to to who, who else is doing the same job and like, does it look like they're physically struggling or does it look like they like their body mm-hmm. is just fluidly moving through this task? They're not thinking, they're just powering, they're just flying through it. And so then you figure out who should you copy in the task. Mm-hmm. And we, we, I talk a lot. So cleaning plants in stripping stems in the barn is where we have a lot of labor. I know this isn't planting, but like uh, last year, uh, this girl, Zoe, like flipped her asters upside down and started stripping them like backwards. Like I, I can't even figure out how she was doing it. She, <laughs> holding them upside down or something, but we went from stripping a Percona in 20 minutes to seven minutes. I was like, guys, watch Zoe. You have to do it this way. And so like, I love it. And like, like, it's like, you know, Zoe got this great thing and we're all doing yeah. the Zoe method now. And, and so that's how everybody's doing what you're saying about watching mm-hmm. each other's movements, hopefully. But yeah. it is really hard when, you know, when the task is new in the season, like you haven't done it for a whole year, or if you're brand new on the crew and you've never used your body in this way, like, like I'm always shocked that people don't know how to push a wheelbarrow. I'm like, what? Oh, yeah. you don't know how to push a wheelbarrow? <laughs> like, but they don't, if we didn't like do that forever, you just don't really know how to like walk with it or, yeah. or use a bow, you know, like they're holding it like two inches from the head of the hoe. I'm like, stand up all the way. Like, my gosh. Like, so... <laughs> If it's brand new, then 
you're just so focused on trying to get the task done that you don't even realize what crazy things your body is doing. And that's Mm -hmm. where your peers or your manager needs to come alongside you and watch your body and be like, Mm -hmm. Oh, it really looks like you're struggling there. How can we make this easier for you? Yeah. Your body. I was just thinking before we move on with like any, with harvest, cause I know we're chatting about that, but like if somebody is just like a one man band, cause there's yeah. a lot of people, mm-hmm. what do you have like any tips for like how to make that transplanting process go easier if they yeah. don't have employees? Is there, I would still break it down in steps. And so you, so these are alive. You have to have like this overhead understanding of you can't lay out like 30 flats because they're going to be dead. But mm-hmm. I would, I would draw, I would cut all my holes and then drop a flat, plant a flat, drop a flat, plant a flat. And then, you know, whatever, every, depending on the weather, you know, if it's, if it's overcast, you probably could just water in at the very end of the morning. Or if it's dry, like every hour you have to stop and water in, but, but still break it down into those steps. So there's this whole thing about, um, multitasking versus focused. And like, I love multitasking, but it's, it turns out it's the least efficient way to do anything. When you're focused on one task, that's when you're going to be the fastest and the most efficient. So breaking that down into three succinct tasks of I'm going to, I'm going to drop, I'm going to plant, I'm going to water, then mm-hmm. I think you'll improve your own personal speed. Even if you're just doing it solo, do not pull one plant out of the tray put it in its spot and plant it and then pull the next one out of its tray and put it in a spot and plant it, you know, just drop them all. And and then people always are just shocked, like, um, at like how tough you can be with plants. Like yeah. it, it's just like astonishing. Like, I think you guys even reference it. Shanti's like the way she smacked yeah. his hand. Like, yes. We do that all the time. I was like, nobody knew that they could do that. I was like, nope. are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> what are you guys afraid of? Like, but, but like, I think if you haven't handled a lot of plants, you think that you just have to baby them. Remember, like the green, beautiful earth wants to be alive, guys. Yes. <laughs> you can plant yeah. some credit. And not you don't have to be a jerk to them, but like they can handle way more uh rough handling than we think they yeah. can. Yeah. And that's yeah. a big barrier to speed. Yes. Is yeah. Being too gentle. Watching yeah. her take those plugs out. Sometimes mine will like they don't have enough root system on yeah. them. That's mine too sometimes. Yeah. No, we wait. I actually found find smacking stuff out is better if there's not a lot of roots. Oh, no. Like asters, asters are such a pain because they just like don't pop out of the trays. And we have a plug popper, but um, that smacking thing, we'll just get a bulb crate and smack them into it. And it's it's for us. So are you guys twisting? You're like twisting the tray and then turning and smacking. So it loosens it within there or you're just turning and smacking it? I'm just hitting it on the very corner of the tray. So you're not hitting the plants. Uh Um, So like the very corner of the tray is hitting the the short end of the bulb crate. And they just fly down in there. You might have to oh, smack man. it. Are, are they, do you water before you go out? So are they wet or are they dry, dry on the drier side? Like this, like medium. Too dry is too stressful mm. for the plants and too mm-hmm. wet is a muddy mess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like ideally watered the afternoon before or okay. yeah, ideally yeah. the afternoon before. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to try that. Dry, the, yeah. the roots are like adhering to the walls yes. of the cells I find that that's yeah. really hard to pull stuff yeah. and then it's just so stressed out that it might not recover from the transplant shock yeah. if it's too dry yeah okay yeah well t- thank you I think too sometimes I'll get into a process like I was just doing this with packing dahlia tubers when we were sending them out I was the one like running labels and packing stuff up so I could get like a final look on things and I realized like I'm printing packing like the system was off and I realized like, oh, Lindsay, just 
run all the labels, then, yes. you know, so it's the same process. Like I was yeah. like doing the whole thing all the way through those, like, this is taking forever. So then I made, you know, did all these labels and then I would go through and like close everything up, pack it and seal it off. So then it, it just, it improved my speed. So I think having yes. self-awareness of what you're actually doing. So if you are solo, just kind of re, you know, evaluating what you would be doing if it was an employee, you know, thinking about like, am I, do I have extra motions in this? Do I have mm -hmm. extra steps that I wouldn't be doing? I'm always looking at like how, uh, when we put our cooler up, like how many steps or how far away is it from the space that we're working, you know, to make it that, you know, it's, we get to work quicker. So and I, I do think that we have to acknowledge also as owners, we know all the other things that need to be done and like, just give ourselves a little grace. And then also, I guess some self-discipline. So mm -hmm. I was like, totally cracking up at myself on we had a pop-up yesterday at the farm and on Friday I was like oh my gosh I am literally bunching ranunculus making bouquets making jars and sweeping the floor and I just keep running around and switching jobs yeah. I'm like what is my problem like get your yeah. life together Michelle like you would anyone else you would be like dude like you need to do one thing and then move on but like when you're carrying the mental piece of all yeah. the different things that have to yes. happen you're like oh wait I should stop and do this I should do that and then it's yeah. just like you're you're kind of being like undisciplined and and super inefficient because you think you have to do everything at oh once. my gosh yeah super this literally enough. happened to us but making bouquets on thursday i was like pacing myself against one of my employees you know and i'm like she has just made twice what i made yeah. you know and i actually mm -hmm. at one point said and i was like okay what is happening and they're like you're doing you're telling us what to do i'm managing them i'm taking phone yeah. calls i there was all kinds of stuff and I was like getting these interruptions. And so, but in my mind, I'm like, I know I'm the fastest here, <laughs> so, but they were so sweet. They were just like, yeah, like you're good. Like you might be the fastest, but you're not focused. I, you're yeah, not. I'm not. Yeah. So they, they were like so sweet to me because mm -hmm. they could see me like my eyes twitching a little bit, you know? So, but yeah, it's a good, it's a very good point. Aww. Well, share with us some of your harvesting efficiencies, because I know when we consulted with you, we talked a little bit about like how filling buckets, managing filled water buckets and harvest and all that is like a whole job. And so I know mm -hmm. you harvest a lot into wheelbarrows. So tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about how you decided that, what crops you do, because it's actually a really cool process. Yeah. So um, that starts with the whole crew. And like I said, like we have that meeting at the end of the season before. And if we're our best selves, we'll have one in the middle of the season. So we can actually like use the stuff while it's still fresh in our mind, but yes. it's like a conversation all the time. So every crop has its own thing. And that's what we were chatting about this like notion of silver bullet. There's not one guys like you have to, this is a living changing system. And so coxcomb tangles in the wheelbarrow. So you need to cut it into buckets and zinnias are fragile and they need to go into a bucket, but mm -hmm. you know, plum solosha, I can get like three and a half perconas into one wheelbarrow. So why wouldn't I just do that and, and move them in? So it's really crop specific and we're, we're pushing those crops like as much as we dare in terms of how long they can be out of water. So that's the other piece mm -hmm. is, you know, marigolds just like wilt down super bad. So we're putting them into water in the field. But like other things, coxcomb can be out of water longer and gomfrina. So we're actually taking dry, empty buckets just as like our portion control into the field for those because buckets of water are way heavier than buckets without water. And so it's like breaking it down by crop is the main, main thing. Let's see. So everything, unless it has a special need, everything's get, getting picked into the same rectangular bucket size. And that 
is because I'm we're custom harvesting everything. And so I'm giving them a harvest list based on our orders for the day for supermarkets. And like, I don't want to cut more than we need to cut. Mm-hmm. And so then we talk a lot about like what a bucket is because we are not counting stems. And so if someone's buckets are not as full as someone else's, it messes up the formula for the day. Mm-hmm. And then we have to go back out. And that's like your worst nightmare is to have yeah. to go back out in the middle of the day. Like think about it. If you just need like five more stems to finish oh. your bouquets, Ugh. Yes. those that those last two bouquets just became $50 bouquets oh, instead yeah. mm-hmm. $50 bouquets. So you have to just like get it right and you're going to mess it up because it's super hard um Mm -hmm. but but like really focusing on that consistency of what goes in a bucket Mm -hmm. so we have um our farm is like sort of on two planes like we have a lower level and a higher up the hill level and we have a new logistical challenge this year where we're switching things around and growing only all of our annuals are going to be up on the hill which means it's the farthest away from the barn and so we're we're talking this year about how that's going to shift things a little bit of what we're going to use gators or the golf cart or the mini truck or whatever for versus wheelbarrows. And uh, it's also, I, I do allow a small amount of per- personal preference, but I'm also, it's like to a very small extent, if you can prove to me that you're doing it just as fast with your system, fine. But if you can't, then you have to learn the other way. Mm-hmm. So to be super granular about that, it's uh, tool usage. So we use sickles and these little, pruners that I get them from Johnny's they're orange handled and I don't remember the name of them but it's the smaller size orange handle clipper from Johnny's and it's just because it's what seems to fit in our hands the best I know different people like different ones but it like generally speaking my crew seems to like this clipper and that's what we use so those are the two harvest tools. There's like, a, like we do knives for a few small things, but um, mostly it's sickles and and clippers. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so each each crop is used by one specific tool, and we talk about that. And then if they're doing sunflowers, I'm going to show them exactly how to hold the sickle and how to pick them and and how to put them into their arm to hold. You need to be able to hold a whole bucket of sunflowers at once and it is heavy and if you Mm -hmm. don't load your arm right you're gonna have to put it down and then when you try to pick it up you're gonna grab some dirt and some weeds and it's gonna be terrible and then you can't add to a bucket you have to put the whole bucket into the whole volume of a bucket into the bucket at one time because if you try to keep adding to a bucket they get all crisscrossed and messy yeah we so like our specifics which might not be for everyone is we take water to the field buckets of water to the field for sunflowers and marigolds and that's it and then we take empty buckets of no water just for portion control for gomprina and coxcomb and then asters and plumsilosia and i think those are the main ones we pick into wheelbarrows because so wheelbarrows the fastest because you have your vessel right there in the row with you so i'm pushing the wheelbarrow as i go and just adding to it but things that need to go right into water or things that get their heads get tangly it's easier to not put it into the wheelbarrow because the hens heads get mm-hmm. tangled each other and so they're picking ideally into one pile that's a bucket's worth and then taking it to the end of the row or arm loads and putting it in a community spot and then picking up the arm loads and putting those into a bucket. And are you putting one person on a particular crop? So I'm just wondering for like pacing, you know, the keeping on pace, like if I had two people working on Celosia, you know, so 
opposite ends or something. I don't, you know, we, we do it. I typically give somebody a particular crop to do it, but how, how is it that you do it? Yeah. So that was a great conversation we had, I think three years ago, it turned out that they love being an expert of a crop. I was like, you guys must be so bored of picking like the same thing every day. They're like, no, we love it. Like we're good at it. Then our body knows what to do. So we have crop experts and then there's always like, you know, I, I just listed like six crops. It's obviously not the only thing we grow. So there's mm-hmm. always outliers and sure. either um, someone who's just like generally gets harvest, I'll put them on the weirdos or someone who's been a few years here and understands like, uh, you know, those like things that are only like two weeks long, like how you would handle those crops because they, everyone else hasn't had a chance to practice. But generally we have an expert and a crop and then I'll either sometimes we have two experts or I'll just have an expert with someone who's like a floater kind of person. And usually the expert can give enough information mm-hmm. on standards to the floater mm-hmm. and it works out. We often work across the row from each other on netted crops because it's really hard to reach across the three foot bed on netted crops and then unnetted crops. You can usually reach all the way across to them. They'll just spread out. We try really hard not to leapfrog each other because that's just like people get all slowed down. So you want to either go way, way down the row or start at opposite ends and works towards mm-hmm. each other if you can mm-hmm. reach all the way across the row. Yeah. The leapfrogging is just outrageous. Then you're like, where did you start? Where did you stop? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're passing mm-hmm. each other and squeezing by and it's mm-hmm. ridiculous. Yeah. Same with planting. It, it, it's mm-hmm. hard to have standards. I know I need to clean up that on some for us too, because that's totally different when you're talking about harvesting out of a high tunnel, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're not, we're not stripping in the high yeah. tunnel. Yeah, we do take wheelbarrows into the tunnel. Um, our paths are a little too narrow to get them down the pathways, but we at least park them at the ends. The other thing about the wheelbarrow is that it's clean. And so you're not putting stuff all the way down onto the ground. They're not getting dirty mm-hmm. or you're not like trying to clean your like weed barrier like ends. So you have a place mm-hmm. to put down the plants. Like you're just putting them into this vessel. It's like half as far to the ground. You're not bending quite as far down yeah. and mm-hmm. it holds them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nicely. So. Yeah, I'm a huge girl. Yeah. Okay. So when once things are harvested, what does post harvest look for you? Are you like when you bring everything into the barn, what happens at that point? First of all, I want to just give a little plug. We did we do a lot of time studies and we did some work with Lenny Larkin at B Side Farm last year on a time study where it was like this little pie graph. And for us, between harvest and post harvest, and that's like pre-bouquet making. So that's just like getting it ready to make a bouquet. Still, harvest and stripping was generally 50 to 60% of the whole time of growing a crop. So this year, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's opportunity. Mm -hmm. That's where we want to focus our efficiency attention is on harvest and post-harvest. So we're switching this year. We're trialing time time trials only on harvest. And I want standards for everything. My crew is going to time themselves on how long it takes to pick a bucket of marigolds versus asters, blah, blah, blah. And I always tell them, like, please be honest, like this is about management. So if I know that we need five buckets of asters and you tell me you're at 10 minute buckets, I'm giving you an hour to pick that. But if you're actually at 20 minutes a bucket, that's like Mm -hmm. almost two hours. Like that's a big difference. You know, we're Mm -hmm. like, like, so you're, you're making it harder for yourself. If you tell me that your times are are faster than they really are. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really just a planning thing. And they all know that. We talk about that all yes. the time. Yeah, um, no pressure. It's just yeah. do it mm-hmm. as you know it to be right. And then, so our big one, we grow a ridiculous amount of gumfrina. So these supermarket bouquets, we make them three days a week. And every gumfrina day is 24 to 30 perconas of gumfrina. Oh it's like gosh. an insane 
insane amount mm-hmm. of gumfrina. So much gumfrina. But for me, if I have gumfrina as my filler, that's why my bouquets sell the best. And yes, people selling love flowers it. is the they name of the game. So that's what we do. Yeah. So when people start here, I'm like, the standard is 20 minutes for cleaning gumfrina. Like Lucy, my daughter, turns out she's amazingly fast. She can do them in like eight to 10 minutes. And so then it's like a game, you know. You're hired but, officially. Um, yeah. 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 She's amazing. So she comes into the barn first. She starts cleaning gumfrina at nine and they have to get buckets down to her by nine mm-hmm. so she can start cleaning. It's in the whole team's best interest to get her into the barn and have her cleaning. And like, mm-hmm. that's how we do it. But so some things are cleaned in the barn. Those are things that are either from the tunnel that we I don't want debris in the ground, on the ground, or things that tangle and are faster to clean in the barn than in the field. So uh, it, it usually translates to things that we call clear cutting. So gumfrina is clear cut, asters are clear cut. And so if you're like pick strip, pick strip, pick strip, um, mm-hmm. That's fine for like clippers, but if you're like sickle clear cutting, you're like cutting like five plants at once into your arm, then what do you do with your sickle to strip all five of those and how do you detangle it? So that's Mm -hmm. automatically going to be faster to just harvest whole buckets, bring it into the barn, lay it up flat on a table and strip it once it's in the barn. So that's sort of how we discern that. And that's always up for conversation too, which crops we're going to pick clean outside versus inside. Cleaning outside is generally better because then you're not hauling the compost back out to the compost pile. You're just putting it straight back onto the ground where it's decomposing in place and it's just better um, in terms of movement. But there's certain things where it makes more sense to clean in the barn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's our process. And then bouquet making is its own separate amazing beast. Whole another beast. <laughs> you know, a change we made last year and I still am catching them going to the old ways, but we strip straight into a container, yes. like into something yes. versus like stripping on the floor Same. and then we're walking through it and then you're, yes. you have to have the process of cleaning That's it like up. That's like a so. power shop thing, right? Like what yeah. is that? And yeah. I, as a neatness, <laughs> I cannot handle it. Like I can't handle having that stuff under my feet and yeah. 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 So we're, that was something that we're, we're really trying. I, I say I'm watching their movements, but I am, I'm like, how far are they turning to get something yeah. into a, into yep. the bucket? And then into the gator, we have a system that we can back our golf cart and our gator straight up to like where we're making bouquets or processing stuff. And so it just all around makes everything so much smoother and mm-hmm. your morale's better when something like is taking so much we're longer than it really should yeah. yeah then you know it's like they're more encouraged to to go do it you know and keep at it because it's it's a along lot. those lines we uh so we use like these old huge nursery spot nursery pots for our compost and i always make them flip one upside down and put the compost bucket on top of it so the compost is at the same height as the mm-hmm. counter because even just having it be yes. like a foot down half mm-hmm. of it falls out and misses mm-hmm. and then you're sweeping and sweeping and sweeping so yeah just those itty bitty details or if you're using giant trash buckets you know making sure they're high enough that the trash the yeah. compost goes straight into the bin makes yeah. a big difference yeah. So you have a pretty large crew. I mean, in comparison to even what, you know, Shannon mm-hmm. and I are, are running. So how are you kind of, I guess, two questions. One, how are you getting everybody up to that same pace? You know, because everybody works at different speeds. You know, how are you training people to get up there? And then how are you really motiv- motivating everybody to look through that efficiency lens and getting everybody on board so that you're kind of working towards the same goal? I rely a lot on peer-to-peer training. So I'll, I'll partner somebody who's been here before with someone who hasn't. I That's like the puzzle game that I really like, I have to say. Like I, I just notice who like naturally seems really proficient at something. And 
if it's a crisis, I'll put two really good people on the same crop, but I try not to, right? Like, so I want to like have the really good person be with someone who might be struggling in that area and see if they can get up to speed by just being side by side. We do talk a lot in the beginning of the season and then as time goes on about how people learn. And so really thinking about like a lot of times people are drawn to this work because they're physical humans and they learn by doing. I hear that a lot. I learn, I want to be shown and then I want to do it. And so if they're learned by doers, then they have to work beside someone who is competent in doing. Mm-hmm. And so we I'll make sure I pair them up with a, with a person who's got a good tempo or who knows it. And then I have one person besides myself whose job it is occasionally to go through the barn and actually pay attention to what people are doing and how they're doing it and make sure that they're not like floundering. Mm-hmm. Um, I stink at that because I, like I said, I get a kick out of doing also. So it's really hard for me to take a minute and go watch other people. Cause mm-hmm. that seems like I'm wasting time, but clearly <laughs> I'm saving time because mm-hmm. if they mm-hmm. get it, then that is going to be for the whole rest of the year. Yeah. Well, I know the grocery store game is like time equals money. And mm-hmm. if you're not doing it efficiently, you're going to start losing money on the grocery, yeah. you know, bouquets. It's such a low price point. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so at like 1800 to 2100 bouquets a week is just, that's like at least three times what we do. And it feels like we struggle some weeks. So it's just it really is just amazing, you know, what, what you guys get done in the amount of time that you do. So talking about efficiencies with bouquet making, like just give us some of your top tips. Like, are sure. you, are things coming out of buckets? Are they laid on the table? I mean, what, how do you go about doing that? So everybody needs to find the old back issues of growing for market when Pamela Arnosky wrote about bouquet making and <laughs> I swear everything I know is from Pamela. So (laughs) (laughs) I love her. Um, He really was my inspiration for so long. Is, continues to be my inspiration, but but really made her mark on me. You visited them this this past year. Yes, yes. They're so good. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So um, we have bouquet makers, we have strippers, we have a sleever. And usually three to four people can only be making bouquets at a time until the sleever starts losing track. So the Mm -hmm. sleever is a crucial job. They are quality control. And my little spiel about grocery stores is consistency is everything. You're gallon of milk or loaf of bread or can of corn is supposed to be the same every single week and every single can on the shelf is the same. And while on some level grocery stores understand the uniqueness of flowers, they want a consistent product. And so if one maker is cutting them too short, being too skimpy, one maker is being too generous, it doesn't look like a uniform product and uniformity is crucial to the grocery store game. So our solution to that is one sleever handles every single bouquet that goes out the door. And it is their job to give feedback to everyone, including me. Like, and we're super sassy about it. And I'm like, ah, they're fine. Like, ah, <laughs> but like they have to reject things. They have to bring them back to the maker. We so the let me start from the beginning. So let's say we have three makers. They all have their own piles of every element of the thing. So they all have their own space. It's set out in a fan shape, flat on the table. We don't pull anything out of buckets. Like as we go, everything's take the whole bucket's taken and laid flat on the table, except for zinnias that smash. And mm-hmm. when we were growing lilies, we would keep them in the bucket. But everything else is flat on the table. 
we try to do a five element bouquet, which keeps it simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think sometimes people are way too complicated mm-hmm. in their bouquets and our look is repetitious. Our look is abundant. The way you get to abundance for us is repetition. And so it just works. Laid out flat on the table. We lay it in the order that you're going to assemble it. So I always start making bouquets first and try to figure out how these particular five crops are going to go together the fastest. So it might mean, you know, start with sunflowers, then add your gumfrina, then wrap it, or or no, add your coxcomb, throw in your little accent things, wrap it in gumfrina or whatever. But I try to figure that out first. And then everyone else sets up in the same order mm-hmm. of things. Mm-hmm. We did graduate to choppers. We were using clippers for everything. So those choppers like have really yes. made a difference in our um, so purple tunnel and our hands. Mm-hmm. So then the makers are assembling, chopping, rubber banding, putting onto these little wire carts that then are rolled to the back where the sleever is sleeving everything. Mm-hmm. The sleever is keeping track of whose cart they're taking so that they can give specific feedback to that maker. Mm-hmm. And it, it it's usually like that maker is consistently being too short or too long or whatever. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, it's their job to give that feedback to the specific maker. The sleever is also keeping track of how many more buckets we have to go. All the buckets are laid out ahead of time and filled with water. So we know exactly how far we are. And everybody on the team then gets to see like this ocean of empty buckets yes. going from empty to full, which is yeah. really Yes. All the other people at that point are still cleaning Gumfrina, emptying the harvest buckets, keeping the barn tidied up. And mm-hmm. uh, usually everyone's working the whole time on that. But if the cleaners, the strippers um, get done early, uh, usually there are people who are just dying to go back outside anyhow. And so their like reward would be to go <laughs> spend an hour in the field, which they're so happy to do after mm-hmm. being the barn yes. anyhow. <laughs> That's amazing. Yes. It, I would just love to see it one day you know even yeah. so good you need to put a video you need there to get a video, a video online. okay i'm gonna have to uh, yes yeah i can't remember which part of our webpage it's on but we had a professional company make a video a few years ago mm-hmm. crossing crown and uh it's on our website somewhere no that <laughs> i don't do it We'll try to link it in our show notes yeah. too, so people yeah. can see. Yeah. We also had someone make one this past summer, a, a staff member, and I've never posted it yet, but you've motivated me. So I'll try okay, to get good, it up on good. the website too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's just an amazing process to see it. And like those stem choppers, they really do. They make a difference yeah. too. Yeah. Like how quick yeah. can you get everything nice and even and, yeah. you know, yeah. get yeah. everybody kind of on the same page. So that's, that's great. I love are that. You, are you like cranking the hard rock music or are you just, is everybody I'm like just a techno quiet? fan. <laughs> <laughs> and raunchy rap is like my yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah nothing Pitbull radio. Pitbull radio. <laughs> we can't make a CSA without Pitbull in the background. It turns out it my whole crew doesn't agree with me, so I'm trying to be accommodating and give them a few breaks from it. Yeah. But if we're really under pressure, yeah, raunchy rap. So funny. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I think that's like synonymous across the like flower farming world. We have we have like dance parties up there. Okay, like mm-hmm. if I get into a mood, and one of the girls that freelance for me with wedding work, she brought me this. Uh, do you remember the Staples? That's easy button. The easy yeah. button that they sell. So she brought me a thirty second dance party button Um, so like we'll just have somebody you know if it's like tense somebody hits the hits the button and last year we the button had gotten moved somewhere my niece had it and she set it on top of our chicken feed and it was honestly like we were we needed a dance party this chicken 
jumps up, <laughs> jumps down onto the dance party. And I we're like, yeah, <laughs> the universe is like, is all so right. Cool. So we all stopped and we were just, you know, kind of the music's terrible on it. But um, <laughs> what you're saying is you're making it fun. Yes. Because that's like yeah. where like efficiency has to be hard and everyone has to yes. be sweating and crying yeah. and they're so hungry and they're going to pee their pants. And no, you have to make it fun too. Like yeah. you can, we talk a lot about sprinting on the farm. So like we can sprint if we rest in between and we can sprint if we laugh in between. Mm-hmm. And so we can, we can plant a hundred flats if we do something upright and easy for the afternoon. And mm-hmm. I can get really good buy-in if I don't do it every day for like yes. a month, you know, yeah, so yeah. cool season, like by day four, because it was so intense. We're like, Oh, we're dying. But like, we could yes. crush it the first two days. And then yeah. like, we're like, for sure. have to, like work that in. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah, it gosh. comes it comes in waves. That's yeah, for sure. Does. But I think we talked about tools. I know we were yeah. going to ask you about tools and supplies. Is there anything you like haven't mentioned that you guys use that help you with efficiency, whether that's with like harvest or planting or, yeah. you know, anything like that, that you want to like throw in before we wrap it up? Anything we didn't talk about? Gloves. Mm. I provide you gloves mean- for everyone. Oh, um, really? Yeah. Yeah. We are a big glove wearing farm. So you want to get those nitrile garden gloves. Mm. Um, My favorite Atlas brand is no longer, they're really hard to find. I love that. There's a bunch of them on Amazon, but really tight fitting nitrile gloves. And lots of time people are like, Oh, I hate gloves. And then like two weeks later, they're all wearing gloves. Like you can, so you can muscle through planting into weed barrier. Like, you know how that just like, is like razor blades on your, everybody wears gloves or that like two finger hole dig is so much easier if like you actually have fingertips and you haven't worn them (laughs) um, because you weren't wearing gloves. Even cleaning plants, stripping, almost everyone harvests with gloves if they're good fitting, well fitting gloves. And so I provide them for everyone. Everyone gets a different color because I'm super neurotic I don't want my hand sweat touching anyone else's hand sweat so everyone has a different color gloves but yeah we all we wear gloves we use sickles and clippers only planting with soil knives if the soil is too hard but really trying to just use our hands mm-hmm. those are the main ones it's yeah. pretty simple Do you, are yeah. you getting the pre-cut sleeves too for your bouquets or are mm-hmm. they just when you say sleeve are you wrapping them or yeah. is it a pre so we're making a switch this year and like you were talking about systems I'm a little nervous about it but it's a good thing our one uh supermarket customer is switching from cellophane to paper and so we're gonna they're all yeah they're all pre-made sleeves they mm-hmm. have UPCs on them they have mm-hmm. our logo on them that all happens before we put them in mm-hmm. we do wrap a little bit of stuff in in like cut squares for we have a subscription program or farmer's right. market or something like that. We would mm-hmm. wrap those uh, just to make it look a little bit different, but mostly it's a pre uh, pre-made sleeve that we're mm-hmm. sliding mm-hmm. the flowers yeah. into. Mm-hmm. That's what we use. We use clear for our grocery and certain things that are sh- like ranunculus that you really kind of want to see. We'll, we'll use yeah. them in a clear sleeve, um, yeah. but everything yeah. else is going in a craft paper mm-hmm. sleeve yep. that my mom and dad sticker while they watch. Uh, Law and Order, I think Netflix. <laughs> Every sleeve. Mom's like, well, that's a job we do. So stickering. I mean, thirty thousand bouquets is a lot of stickers. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we sticker after, like, the afternoon of planting. Mm-hmm. I'll let them sticker for a while. But even that has to be fast. I tell them, like, this yeah. is not making me any more money, guys. We just have to do it. So yeah. like, race each other. Do whatever you have to do to, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, power through this. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Oh, I think that's great. Okay, Michelle. So tell 
people like where they can find you, how they can follow mm, your farm, work yeah, with you, all yeah. those things. It's Roots Flower Farm. Uh, Roots Cut Flower Farm is our real name, but all of our our website and our social media is Roots Flower Farm. And yeah, I'm mediocre at posting on Instagram. I do my dad <laughs> my best, and but lots of stuff on our website. And if if people are interested in the consulting piece, that is winter only when I'm not farming. And there's a, a intake or a inquiry form on our website. I, the one thing I didn't say that I feel like I should yes. mention is I'm yeah. really strict about how I receive communications. So in this age where you could get an order on the telephone, on the email, on Mm -hmm. instant messenger, on your website, like there is way too many ways for things to come at a business owner. And so email is the one that works for me. I'm up really, really early. I can email without being offensive and it's not dinging on people's phones and blah, blah, blah. So we have all of our messaging turned off on social media and people can only inquire about getting flowers or even other things via email. And I think that's, that really is an efficiency thing. And I don't, people are like, don't you have a telephone? I'm like, yeah, I have a telephone, but I do not give my phone number out to anyone. And that is just my way of staying sane. And it's like that task switching thing. I cannot take an order that way. And so it just has to go through email. It's one thing I check a couple times a day and everything else is funneled into that. So if yeah. you would like to consult with me, you must email me. Um, <laughs> that's the only way we can talk to you. <laughs> and yeah. then we'll talk to person uh, after that. But I think it is, it does come down to efficiency and focus. For yeah. sure. I did when I recognized that like really early on, it was probably like 2019. And and even I switched, I think, in, during the pandemic because that's when the business really started to take off and people were messaging me and texting me to get flowers at like 10 o'clock at night. And I felt this rush of like, this does not work for me. I am a very private person with my personal life. And all of these people were having my cell phone number was on everything. So I switched to having a Google voice number and that is only, it's an information only line. And so I say that up front, they can leave a message, but it's for us to communicate about our you pick hours, our flower stand. And mm-hmm. I say in there, it's an information only line. If you want to get in touch with us, please leave an email because same thing, you know, I was getting Facebook messages, text messages, and I still like in my Instagram, people will inquire about stuff. And I have just like a set auto reply, you know, mm-hmm. that I will copy and paste and say like, Hey, thanks so much for your inquiry. Like, you know, and I own it. I say like, if it sits in my inbox and you order 20, you know, bouquets from me for a baby shower, I'm going to forget. So send it to the email. Mm -hmm. So it's all in one place. And it really focuses that. And I don't feel, I don't feel bad about it anymore because it's, it's a lot to manage. And I have my, I have my ringer off on my phone almost all the time because I get pinged. And then I also turn notifications off for my emails because as these, as being busy business owners, you're getting input all the time. Like your employees are asking you for stuff. Like your children are asking you for things. And at the end of the day, it's like, I don't need something else that's distracting me. So I love that you do that because it's a, it's definitely helped keep me, I guess, kind of sane. I can't imagine what I'd be like if I had all that (laughs) notification. I had an Apple watch at one point. I was so, I just noticed every time that it would like buzz on my wrist that my heart would sort of race. I was like, well, I don't think that's healthy. (laughs) I don't think that's healthy. So I sold it. But yeah, it just, so like, you know, everybody's different, but um, just limiting the number of access points that people have for you. That is efficient. 
Like yeah. that yeah. is an efficiency. Mm-hmm. It's survival also. Yeah. But it is. Yeah, it is yeah. efficiency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And it sounds harsh and people are frustrated by it. And I know that, but it's, it has to be done. So. Yeah. Yeah. They wouldn't be like going to Walmart at, well, they probably would be going to Walmart at 10 o'clock to pick up their CSA. But anyway, yes, Michelle is, um, you're wonderful. You are a wealth of knowledge and I love talking to you every time. I just feel better. Like I said, every time that I'm around you, you just share something. I just tell my husband that please. Yes, absolutely. Get him on. Get him on here. He's like, my blood pressure is going up every time you talk to me. You have a list. Yeah, you've got the list. You've got a list. That's why. Oh, but you're calm. But yeah, please, please, please go check Michelle out at Roots Cut Flower Farm on Instagram. Great things happen. I always love watching your watching your page and what you have going on. It's always inspiring to me. So appreciate you taking the time to come chat with us this morning so much. Thank you. Yay. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. guys. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll get through it. That's for sure. Yep. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you for listening in today. Show Michelle some dirtbag love, right? Let's go follow her. Check out her page. Go follow her at uh, Roots Cut Flower Farm and uh, give her website a, a look and check out what she's got going on over there. So if you haven't left us a review, I know I've been mentioning this, but what are you waiting for? Seriously. We... We need you to do this for us. It keeps mm-hmm. us fueled and it gets other it gets our podcast in more people's earbuds. So please, please, please leave us a review. If you haven't followed us over at Instagram at Dirt on Flowers, we really shape a lot of our content and what we talk about on here from your feedback. So drop us a DM. We really do love chatting with you and hearing. Sundays we always put up our spill the dirt where you can kind of give us like what is it that you want to hear? What questions do you want answered? And sincerely, like we're our entire year is planned off of what you guys want to hear. So that's why we're here. So give us a follow and thank you guys so much for being here. We really, really appreciate it. And we hope you found value in today's podcast. And as always, we'll see you the same time, same place next week. Bye guys. Bye.